Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, available on iTunes. This is episode 55 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Doing very well, Mary. We've got an interesting lineup of topics to discuss. Uh, one of them, uh, I might have some sort of personal feelings about it. Well, they might get me in trouble, but we'll have to Ooh, see. Oh, <laughs> I like when you bring trouble, Max. <laughs> <laughs> Um, before we get started, I uh, would like to thank the Jetliner Cabin's ebook app for sponsoring this week's podcast. When you're enjoying an in-flight meal or movie high above the earth, have you ever wondered about the level of thinking that's gone into your immediate living space? The contoured seat back and supporting headrest, the safety provisions, the mood lighting, the meticulous selection of sound absorbent material calibrated to block intrusive noise. Jetliner Cabins is the story of how scientists, designers, engineers, maintenance and marketing specialists have transformed the stark tubular interiors of typical airliners into unique settings. This ebook app invites readers to explore the expertise, discover the details, and enjoy the fascinating world of Jetliner Cabins. Visit JetlinerCabins.com to learn more and to download the app. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today. Martin Cunnison has been involved with new technology innovations in the aviation PAXX space for the past decade and prior to this in online retailing. Now, as CCO of AirFi, he leads the wireless IFE's company's growth growth strategy to rapidly expand its aviation footprint and extend into other vertical markets. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hi, Mary. How are you? Good. Thank you. Excellent. Nice to talk to you. Nice to be talking with you, Martin. Hi, Max. Nice to meet you. Wonderful. Well, let's take a look at some of the PaxX news stories that are making headlines. First, some airlines are trialing virtual reality headsets as in-flight entertainment, notably for premium customers. Now, as someone who's been in the industry for quite some time, Martin, do you foresee mass rollout of VR as IFE, or do you think this will remain a niche offering? Interesting, Max. Interesting. I guess I have a bit of a sort of personal opinion about this, to be honest. I, I, I mean, personally, I think it's a bit of a niche technology. I don't know. Perhaps a little, uh, other people have a completely different opinion, but I just, I, I mean, I don't know. I just don't see VR headsets, you know, which require movement and space um, to be a permanent feature of the economy. And that's, you know, I guess that's 75 plus percent of uh, the seats that are flying uh, around the world. So, you know, I, I've, I know that a couple of the airlines are doing uh, trials and they're putting in premium cabins and maybe that's like a nice to have there, but uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not so sure. But, you know, uh, I guess from our kind of standpoint uh, as a uh, system provider, well, you know, we have a technology that has processing power to do vr or ar uh and maybe augmented reality which is less about the headsets i think uh, you know streaming those kind of contents to um passenger devices yeah i think that actually can start to sort of come through you start to see sort of augmented reality moving maps you know it's much more immersive you get a 360 degree view of say you know the whole uh throughout through the airframe so it's like a kind of a glass bottom aircraft or something like that um you know you can sort of turn into points of interest and and have a much more immersive experience and i think you know Classically, uh, the moving map has always been the most in, uh, you know, watched uh, thing in an aircraft on an IFE system. So, you know, why, why not uh, see those technologies start to make that, uh, you know, a bit more a, a bit more exciting? And, you know, ultimately, I guess everyone's looking around selling revenue and start to drop those kind of things in there or gamify it. And, and that could be actually a, a big kind of growth, I think. Um, VR, less so, perhaps. But AR, yeah, definitely, I see that. Oh, interesting. 
Uh, so, Martin, just so in the context of discussing about AR and VR, can you just talk a little bit about what the actual AirFi solution entails so that those who have never heard about it understand what we're talking about? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, AirFi was one of the uh, was the first company, to be honest, to come up with the, uh, the sort of portable carry-on non-certified um, sort of Wi-Fi in a box or hotspot in a box um, so we've been getting out for uh, coming to five years. Um, it's, it's been a kind of revolutionary type of technology because you don't have to fit uh, servers and access points to the aircraft. There's no certification, downtime, huge expense, etc. Um, and I think as we've seen, you know, we've just uh, creeped over sort of 50 clients in the last couple of weeks. So, so now we're starting to see a, you know, quite a sort of fast adoption of the technology. I think originally a bit like everything, you know, when iPads came out, everyone's like, oh, it's a bit of a niche kind of product. Um, and then everyone thinks, oh, you know, actually this has got a... A permanent place in the landscape, and, and I think you know uh, it's kind of moved into uh, into a mainstream alternative. And you know, I, you know, I, yeah, our challenge is to keep leading the market. To be honest, so uh, it is an exciting space. And uh, you know, we, we announced two new customers today um, at the uh, uh, aviation festival over in Singapore, where my colleagues are. Um, really, kind of starting to sort of tap into that Asia Pac region, uh, which is uh, I think the ATA um, we're, we're sort of forecasting about two point one billion passengers a year are going to be flying through Asia Pacific. So it is the fastest growth in terms of absolute numbers. Uh, so we will be absolutely part of that sort of market footprint. Um, and last month, we were fortunate to add another couple of air, um, airlines in, in Europe and in Russia and in both the Middle East and North, North Africa and in Asia Pacific. We've just done two sort of landmark partnership agreements. So, so you know, we started to move the company from uh, looks like a, uh, one of the little startups to actually a bit of a scale up. And now all of a sudden it's becoming quite quite kind of mainstream. So so uh, it, I think it's kind of breaking into that next kind of level of the, you know, the technology and, and acceptance, which uh, yeah, and, and I guess that's why there's a bunch of other guys uh, coming in the market behind us. So it's uh, always quite competitive space in, uh, in IFA. I mean, as you said, I've been around it for a while. And you just see these new technologies come and, you know, some stay and some drop away, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, I think AirFi is on, on one of those uh, trajectories now, which is, which is exciting. Yeah, that is wild. It is wild. And it is so competitive. And, and you're, you're right. And it can get a little incestuous as well, Martin, with people jumping around, <laughs> to be fair. Um, a trade show with a different card? Come on, that's not true. <laughs> but with very specific regard to, say, the kind of VR headset, um, Max, is that something that you have any interest in at all? You know, we'll share this link of this uh, first-person account of a flyer using a headset in flight and what the experience was like. Do you have any interest in that when you're flying? Well, maybe a subset of it. When we look at augmented reality and virtual reality in the mainstream applications, they're mostly designed for people who are standing and able to move around or at least move your head around and up and down and, and so forth. And that's that's a different kind of an environment than a person sitting in a seat where obviously mobility is is limited and should be limited. You don't want people flailing around in their seat as they're <laughs> watching something happen all right. around them. Um, so, so there's that issue. But there are a couple of applications that uh, are kind of attractive to me. One, uh, I think Martin mentioned, like the glass bottom uh, airplane idea. If I could see a 360-degree view of what it looks like outside the aircraft, I, I think that would be uh, wonderful. I mean, we have the windows, but many times the windows are closed to darken the cabin. Uh, but if I could see the view outside, I, I think that would be kind of uh, kind of exciting. 
Yeah, I quite agree, Max. I mean, you know, since uh, someone put, put the uh, onto ways um, to try and navigate the horrendous uh, Los Angeles traffic, that whole kind of gamifying of uh, just essentially what's a map. I think that's the kind of thing that really gets people quite yeah, excited to, to, to get involved in it, you know, and at the end of the day, trying to sort of capture eyeballs and get people in these systems uh, because then you can start to monetize that and get the advertisers in and da da da. Um, and I think actually, you know, that whole gamifying thing is a really exciting place. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, you know, one of the major objectives of in-flight entertainment is to distract the passengers. Uh, and uh, <laughs> virtual reality is uh, something that, well, at least these days is so unusual for most people that I think it would be highly distracting and engaging. But these headsets are not inexpensive. Uh, so there's that issue of the, the cost to provide it, plus the, the content it's, it's, I mean, I, I remember um, a couple of years back, you know, 3D um, without glasses was the sort of screen technology. Um, 3D with glasses was obviously, you know, uh, bobbing around about 2008, 2009. Um, it didn't really stick. And I, I, know, I, think, I think this extra headset, you know, it's more weight, it's more... It's more kind of, uh, I don't know, paraphernalia you've got to take on the aircraft or, or get or, or trying to sort of get customers to adopt it. Um, and then, I, I, you know, I'm not really a, a huge fan of it, so I haven't massively followed it. But I guess, you know, you know if you're going to get sickness or whatever, you know, just it around. Oh, yeah. The uh, logistics aspect of it is something that was highlighted in the past by Gogo's Scott Carmichael, where he, you know, he mentioned the fact that, like, think about all of these headsets that would need to come off, be cleaned, uh, you know, obviously right. charged and then turn back around. So from a logistics standpoint, that's the that's the part that really um, but that coupled with the fact that obviously we're, you know, we're really tight now in the back of the bus. Um, and so from what you both have said, the space element means you're not going to want passengers, you know, doing too much in the way of, of movement or, and they really can't even in the, in those tiny seats. So kind of the logistics plus the, the small seating situation begs the question of if it will remain more of a novelty or for premium, you know, rollout and, and whatnot. But it'll be interesting to see because there's a, there's a couple companies that are on the march in this, in this sector. They're at least getting some of the headlines. One of them is the Skylights product. Uh, they seem to have secured a, um, a number of trials. So, so, um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see, but there, there's there's challenges <laughs> for sure. In my personal opinion, like the, path, the path of least resistance is you know getting to what customers and passengers coming on the aircraft with themselves, right? And let's be honest, it's a mobile phone. Um, you know, even you know, iPads and tablets. You know, if you look at air fire passengers, um, they're probably about ninety percent um, going straight to a you know, straight to a mobile phone. Um, so I think you know it's, it's always about how we can enable staff to get delivered to a mobile phone. And if passengers bring their own headset, great. Um, if they're not, then it's about trying to you know, provide the content that's going to work on that device. You know, it is the device of choice. So yeah, I think the more and more we see that, you know, mobile phones are just ubiquitous everywhere, and everyone's addicted to them. So we're just trying to feed more uh, exciting stuff to those the, to those devices. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about AirFi. Uh, we mentioned it's a portable wireless IFE system. And Martin, AirFi has been making waves in the airline industry, and you've announced it. Uh, another round of airline contracts recently. You're the chief commercial officer of AirFi, and so you play a strategic role in the growth of the company. So uh, what can you tell us about why AirFi is such an attractive offering, particularly to the low-cost carriers? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it'll kind of start, I mean, at the end of the day, it's costs of weight, isn't it? I mean, there's sort of two key principles of, of how the whole industry sort of wants to operate. How do we reduce cost, reduce weight? How do we drive ancillary revenues? 
Um, and so, you know, coming into the market as, as the kind of first cab off the rank, uh, that, that, and it's always a, you know, necessity uh, is the uh, mother of invention. I hope I've got that the right way around. Uh, and essentially what we, we came up with the FI box some, some years back because um, the original product, which was a, a connected crew EPOS terminal, which is, is, is actually in the last six months really starting to take off as well. Um, we were just looking at ways to try and get these uh, terminals to communicate better front and back of the aircraft. And, it was Bluetooth technology wasn't working as well. So we're like, well, let's throw like a, a hotspot on the aircraft. And all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. You go, mm, you know, actually, if we've got a hotspot on the aircraft, let's just, uh, let's, let's put some content on there. And all of a sudden passengers can start using it with their own devices. And, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, uh, spawns almost uh, an industry now, or certainly a subset of the industry. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you're the first guy there some years back and uh, the first product was called the moon box, um, it's now being deployed on uh, about upwards of about 500 aircraft. It's got 10,000 flying hours, and, and you know, and, and it's basically a shoebox that is self-contained with a battery and a server with all the content uh, preloaded, uh, and it basically just does, does what it says on the tin. You know, so so you switch it on, or uh, in, and in the second evolution, the actual boxes are. are uh, completely sort of autonomous now so they you know they've got the technology to be able to switch themselves on and know where they are like uh, with the adsp signal they can tell if they're in flight or what uh, what routes they're going on because they're getting that data from the aircraft um so so the whole kind of technology is now really sort of leaping forward and i think everyone was sort of looking originally maybe it's the smaller airlines maybe it's the charter airlines you know cost conscious airlines um, and people were starting to come into it adopting it maybe two or three years ago and now all of a sudden you see that real uptake and, and for us you know, in, in an industry with some you know, major players and you know, no one gets fired for buying Panasonic, it was the old adage in the industry. And we, we've kind of adopted that, sorry, perhaps even uh, stolen it. Uh, uh, no, we, we, we don't want anyone to get fired for buying AirFi. Um, so we want to start to show that technology works in those larger fleets and those bigger deployments where actually the, the, the system works really well in a big network of aircraft. And, um, and, and I think you know, that's really been the turning point in the last year where airlines have gone, mm, you know, it's not a, it's not a niche technology anymore. This is actually quite mainstream. I get it. It's got a long-term uh, place in in our uh, product portfolio, um, and I think that's you know why we've seen you know literally two or three airlines joining the portfolio every month in the last couple of months. Yeah, that's been wild, actually, trying to keep up with all these press releases. This is why we're glad we have a PR hub. It's just amazing. You guys are just, you know, churning them out. Uh, so much to unpack here, Martin. Number one, one of the things I find so fascinating about these uh, is what you just mentioned, the ADSB signal that is providing then a true, you know, map, uh, a true live map to passengers, even though this is obviously, you know, a wireless IFE solution. So that's got to be highly attractive to the airlines. For us, it's very attractive because, you know, it, it, inevitably these technologies start to uh, start to sort of merge. Um, for us, you know, we're looking at trying to how can we make these boxes um, fully autonomous um, and sort of semi-embedded, if you like, because you know some of our customers say, "Listen, we love it; it's a great product." But you know, if we were a large fleet operator with say 200 aircraft, we don't want thousands of boxes coming in and out of 60 different clubs. You know, we want this to actually be able to be managed quite well. So we thought, oh, in that case, why don't we just power it on the aircraft? Um, if you do a minor mod and put power, uh, like an in-seat power system, then all of a sudden you can just fit the boxes into the aircraft and forget about it. You know, it's still a carry-on, so it doesn't change the certification side of it. Uh, but it means that there's no more, like, a catering operation that's to take it on and off the aircraft, which is a bit of a faff of, uh, uh, of customers in terms of their decision-making. Um, and then with the smarts inside the box, 
it knows if it's in flight. It's got it's got some pressure sensors, so it knows if the doors open. So we can start to sort of um, or, you know, autonomously manage cell modems, for instance, so it can communicate data, send data off, receive content, send transactions, etc. Um, and you know, and, and make the whole sort of system basically zero touch. The crew don't have to get involved. And at the end of the day, um, you know, these new systems are great, and the airlines love it. And the crew go, Oof, you know, another job to do. Um, so we want to make everybody's life a bit more you know straightforward and simple. And that's I think now you know that's that's the kind of battle ground and this ADSB um, uh, technology is a really crucial part of that. Wow. So, Martin, if I understand you correctly, so in order to uh, provide flight data content to uh, to the users, the uh, the box is picking up that data from the ADSB signal. Yeah, that's right. I mean, those are sort of uh, signals that uh, that are sort of powering like flight radar twenty four, which obviously yes. speaks to the map, so you see where the aircraft is and when it's coming in. Um, so we can take that signal, um, you know, without any kind of uh, interference. We can capture that on the box and then translate it into moving map data, or you know, start to become much more efficient in the operations side. And as much as moving map is fantastic and everyone loves it, uh, we're a bit more excited about what we can do to make the you know, the whole system much more. Um, you know, self-sufficient, self-reliable, you know, um, autonomous, if you like. And the other other positive aspect of that is that uh, you, there's no physical connection to the uh, the flight data systems on the plane. You have an air gap so that you avoid any kind of uh, security issues. Exactly. So we don't have to hook up to an Eric bus, for instance. So, again, you know, we're just trying to keep this completely uh, walk on, walk off, you know, or, or certainly outside of the whole certification kind of um, uh, you know, regimes, uh, you know, legally so, and, and, and it's all tested and there's no interference, there's no prepaid interference, uh, which is great. So, so now, and, and now you're getting that signal, as, as you just said, Max, is you can start to do, use that data in, in a really quite efficient way. Uh, Martin, when these systems uh, came on the market, obviously there were some concerns by various parties as to whether there would be some safety issues. And of course, EASA even issued some guidance in the a couple years ago, you know, saying that they expected, you know, the, the various different specs to be met. Um, and which I know we've talked about it in the past um, that AirFi has, in fact, you know, it falls well within those those uh, boundaries that that EASA set. But um, from a safety standpoint, it's given the fact that these have been in operation for the last couple of years. How how is it performing? Is it? I mean, you know, we see these we see laptops on fire uh, in overhead bins here just last week. Uh, so, should passengers be concerned on any level about these boxes that obviously have you know uh, batteries? The the hard fact is there's zero incidents of any issue in terms of our product. Uh, obviously, you know, as as any you know, responsible supplier to the aviation market, safety is absolutely number one priority. Absolutely, uh, you know, we took a decision in terms of the design build of the device not to have a uh, you know a swappable battery. Well, some people want to do that, uh, and they may have a good opinion on it. I mean, for us, we were like, you know, it's a crew task which we don't want to do. Uh, plus, you know, if the crew aren't you know conscious of what they're doing, uh, or you know, put the battery the wrong way around, not saying they would do. You know, just just you know, as everyone's very busy, uh, you know, you, what you don't want to do is start you know putting batteries wrong around and, and start to create some sort of degree of, of safety risk and that was just a uh, kind of decision we took um, in terms of the whole t-ped testing in my former life here we did a lot of t-ped testing very expensive uh, very time consuming you have to test every single aircraft by type uh, or, or by sort of sister group if you like um, so cat you know for, for mixed fleets it can be it can be a, you know, a massive disincentive to go forward with a sort of wireless ifv solution and it's really about the three gigahertz kind of spectrum which is uh, or the tell which is which is the, the the one that goes above the kind of uh, TPEG tolerance. So we've just tried to make 
our box work really, really efficiently. And everyone wants to stream to 40 or 50, like you know, move this to 40 or 50 kind of personal devices. So we just want to make that technology really efficient on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum rather than have to use the five and, you know, and, uh, you know, not get deep into front door, back door coupling, but, you know, there's a way to make sure that product can get on the aircraft with a full safety spec without going through this whole sort of rigmarole of having to spend a lot of money on, on testing individual aircraft. And, and again, you know, it just means when people decide, okay, we want to do, I'm going to do something with AFI, they haven't got, a, you know, a two or three month wait and their craft down. It's literally decision, right, load the content, get the operation in place. And, yeah, six to eight make weeks and operations people hate me for saying that, maybe a little longer, 10 to 12, sorry, sales guy coming out. Yeah, then, then you've got this thing up and running across the whole fleet switched off, you know. Uh, you know, three months is is bloody fast, I guess. It's two ways about it. Yeah. I mean, is, are, you, are you able to do so also then, then with these other verticals? Are you in the kind of trains and maritime buses? Are you, are you working that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think we've all got a, you know, a, a love of aviation and we're aviation geeks and whatnot. So we kind of get a little, a little sort of the kind of moth around the, the light bulb sort of syndrome a bit with aviation. Um, but we've gone into the bus market. We started to do some trials there. Um, it's the exact same box. Um, and actually, what's been quite cool because it's working on the ground. We can use the cell modem to create Wi-Fi access for passengers, which obviously is a lot more complicated to do in in, uh, in the aircraft. And start to get a system that is got internet connectivity and captured, you know, the, the capture portal to stream content. And because the product is in its essence you know, a very very low cost product, it, it works in the bus market. You know, if you think airlines are you know constricted with their investment, then buses are ten times more constricted, and trains probably halfway in. Um, so yeah, I mean, those, those obviously those. those other verticals are you know they are another mass transportation market and therefore uh you know hugely exciting i mean you know an airline of magnitude like a ryanair you know 120 million passengers raised yeah 100 million passengers wherever those guys are roughly about um you know in in just the uk where i'm based um our second largest city birmingham their main bus carrier is moving a million passengers a day and all of a sudden, you know, my gosh, their mind boggles, you know. And if you're looking at advertising and trying to generate ancillaries, I mean, that's where the numbers are hugely significant for advertisers rather than, uh, you know, kind of significant, but actually not if, if, even for a large airline. Uh, and, and that's the interesting dynamic. And again, it sort of stretches us as to what we can deliver in terms of the revenues and then bring that back into the aviation vertical and, and you know, just, just sort of borrow off each other. Hmm. All right. Well, as our last topic... Air Asia X has introduced kid-free quiet zones in the forward section of its economy class cabins, and as in the children have to go in the hold, or no? Although that was the suggestion of uh, <laughs> one of the uh, commenters to the article, but uh, travelers actually seem to be kind of divided on whether this is a good idea or not. Now, Martin, I understand you have two young daughters. Where do you stand on the question? Should airlines offer child-free zones? Well, I'm very fortunate that my children are so well behaved, and I really hope they listen to this podcast and just <laughs> look at each other and go, uh-huh. what about me? <laughs> Ask. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, kids are a huge part of uh, our user group, uh, maybe 30%. And obviously, in the summertime, that spikes up. You know, we've had some really you know, great support from people like Cartoon Network. Um, so, you know, Good luck to lovely Natalie as she goes uh, into into her next phase of pregnancy. Yeah, but those yeah, and, and those product, yeah, those kind of content media, it, it's huge. And actually, I was quite I was quite surprised that um, that content actually really just tra- you know, translates to a lot of a lot of users. So, I, know, I mean, personally, I think I think you know we're always trying to think: can we? Yeah, you know, we want to monetize these systems, and obviously, we don't want to monetize it necessarily out of kids or 
throw a load of advertising in there. But you know, obviously, you've got, you've got to come up with with a, uh, a a kind of way of keeping the kids, you know, engaged and quiet. Uh, and you know, uh, as it says on on the uh, CNN article you sent me, "Precious Angels," you know, not wreak, wreaking havoc in a sealed metal tube. Um, and I think it, it becomes quite an important part of you know airline decision making process that you know. Yeah, we work really closely with people like Thomas Cook, obviously huge charter airline that's moving a, you know, a lot of families around you know, from Germany and UK. And the kids' content is, is hugely important uh, to that whole sort of lineup that we work with them on. Interesting. Max, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this one. <laughs> what do you think? My immediate reaction was, was this, that it's one thing if uh, children are distributed throughout the cabin, but uh, if you make a kid-free zone up front, that means you're going to concentrate the children in the back and the adults back there uh, may be less thrilled about the idea. It's interesting, Max. I mean, I come from a sort of early dot-com background and, and I remember in the 90s, everyone's going, oh, yeah, dot-com, you know, e-commerce can be so huge and shops will close and whatnot. And I think you know, people just end up you know, going to, to what actually is normal. And I think you know, having kids in a particular zone this isn't normal. And, you know, a bit like you know, VR, you know, running around with a headset on a plane economy, it doesn't sound normal. <laughs> just think there's, a, there's a sniff test to a lot of this, isn't it? As a, a business traveler in the past, uh, you do a lot of work on the, uh, on the flights and, you know, having noisy children who are not particularly well behaved. Uh, I mean, that represents a, a problem and an annoyance. Uh, but Mary, I I think the problem is not with the kids. I think it's with the parents who don't know how to train their children. <laughs> now everybody saw that child that was uh, screaming like crazy right for eight or nine hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know, some some kids, you know, it's yeah, if they've got uh, you know, yeah, they, they don't want to travel. I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's it's rough. It's rough. I mean, as a parent, when I traveled with my daughter when she was young, you'd always brace, you know, because you're like, oh, God, especially when their ears would stop start popping and, you know, the tears would start flowing. And as a parent, you are, you know, it is, it's a very difficult situation, you know. It's embarrassing. It's uh, you feel badly for the other passengers. There's definitely all of that, and and you know you're getting <laughs> the hairy eyeball from a lot of people around you. The that heavy judgment is coming your way when you're not able to you know calm your child down. It's difficult. It's very difficult. But I, I Max, I do think that that is an interesting point you make. Where if you're going to segregate the kids into <laughs> one, well, have a kids free zone, you're you're effectively then going to make others suffer at a greater degree. Which is right. which is which is interesting. I will say this: something that actually John Walton, a deputy editor here at RGN, wrote actually uh, years ago. He wrote an opinion saying that it almost this whole thing needs this kids-free zone needs to be flipped on its head. What about more of a kids focus zone whereby you could opt into seating that would accommodate your kids, whether it be with amenities, content, food? You know, I mean, obviously, you know, in a, in a world where we've got 10 abreast triple sevens, it might sound like pie in the sky. But I do like the idea of flipping the script and saying, OK, could airlines not be a little bit more creative to make a part of the plane more appealing to travelers where they would want to book in that specific section. And, you know, again, it's, you know, it sounds idealistic, but sometimes I think that, you know, there's ways of ways of going about this that wouldn't be so deeply wounding or insulting to, <laughs> to uh, parents, you know. Some of the big, you know, children's 
uh, content brands. You know, if you've got yeah. you know, ambient product, uh, you know, plush toys or whatever, and and some kind of you know doodling thing, and you know, you know they can like color stuff in. Obviously, get most restaurants and you know, that kind of stuff that just quiets them down. And then there's a thing, you know, associated with the you know what they can watch on their on their on their, their iPad or their. Uh, the parents' phone, and yeah, and it starts to make it you know much more kind of immersive. And, and like you, Mary, you know, the first thing you want to do is just get the kids kind of settled down, don't you? You know, and and I think once they're in and settled, then twenty minutes later they ask, "Are we there yet?" But other than that, you know, you just kind of just keep them occupied, and that's it, really. Absolutely, and IFE plays such an important role in this. I took my when I took my daughter uh, uh, to Europe. It was her first long haul flight when she was little. I think she was maybe six or seven years old. Um, and the plane going out did not have, um, sorry, it, it did not have seat back IFE and coming back it did. And the difference was like night and day. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. She was just so much better behaved. And I thought, talk about, I mean, IFE distracts the brain from the pain of sitting in obviously tight economy class seating, but it also really does a lot to distract kids, which I always say is an opportunity for, you know, IFE content providers to step it up a notch for the children on board and have really good viable, and some airlines are doing a good job with that, but really good menu for kids content because it really does make a world of difference being able to show them something different than perhaps they might have loaded already on on the ipads that that a lot of of obviously parents bring on board content opportunities martin (laughs) shameless self-promotion here because i mean you're again talking about seatback screens which is is pretty much the reserve of long-haul flights um yeah maybe obviously the u.s there's 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 a number of airlines that have put screens uh, in, in their short hauls, um, I, you know, in Europe, it's not very prevalent. I don't, can't really think of any um, right off the top of my head. Mm. Um, yeah, so you know, the kind of systems that uh, beautiful company like ours provide, all of a sudden, then you so you know, then there there are you know, instant kind of kids, um, you know, quieting down factors for you know, two or three hour flight. And I'm guessing most of the issues aren't necessarily on the long haul flight, where at some point they'll go to sleep. It's more about you know three hours, you know, from, you know, from London to uh, Grand Canaria, you know, and the kids are agitated because, you know, and half an hour in they're, they're bouncing around all over the place. And I think those, you know, and again, you know, like I said, we work with the, you know, the charter airlines and they were the sort of first adopters because part of what they want to do is make the crew, you know, life a lot quieter by giving the kids something and everyone's walking on with a device, you know, everybody's walking on with a device. So this is not difficult. And, you know, if, you know, if parents are, uh, you know, uh, of my kind of ilk, which is, oh, damn, I forgot to download a stuff, load of stuff on the kids' iPad then you know you don't have to think about it it's there when you get there you know? yeah which, which has always been important to us you know we, we you know, we've always been trying to think about technologies that allow everybody to access it all the time so again you know our philosophy has been get away from apps you know so actually get on the aircraft you can access everything through a web browser you're not going oh damn it i didn't download an app you know so again you know just lots of things we make a decision on just to try and increase this whole kind of uh, you know uh usability and, and, and attractiveness of the system so, Mary, I have a proposal. Mm. It's actually a, a derivative, maybe, of what you and John uh, Walton were discussing. So, mm-hmm. again, I think the, the problem is not with the kids, it's the parents. So, my proposal, yeah. and this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, is to create <laughs> parent-free zones. So, oh. parents traveling with children sit in the back. The rest of us <laughs> and the kids sit <laughs> up front. And then we'll show oh. the parents what proper parenting means. Oh, my God. Okay. Let me touch paper max and stand back. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, bracing for the emails, Max. Bracing <laughs> for the emails. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. I... Uh, 
I don't know what to say to that, yes, Max. That's quite all right. I'm, lo- I'm a loss for words. <laughs> <laughs> I am a loss for words, but I will brace. I will brace. So, I, I, alas, we are rapidly coming to a close here. We want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at runwaygirlnetwork.com. And on iTunes, be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at Girl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd love to have you. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, the Jetliner Cabin's ebook app. And I'd like to thank Martin for being our guest. Martin, where can listeners find you at? Uh, well, I'm not really a massive social media person. Uh, LinkedIn, but obviously fi.aero is, uh, is our main URL. Um, go there in about a month's time when we've got a nice looking website. <laughs> oh, very good. All right, Martin, it's been a real pleasure, and we'll ask all of you to join us again next time as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.